You are listening to the Tour des Flaneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 8, today we are in Lausanne. Well, Francois, we've got the keys to the city. We have got the microphone to the podcast. How crazy is this? Got everything. We've got a credit card. We're in Lausanne, <laughs> Switzerland, which is a, a, a posh place. So I'm sorry, guys, but we might, uh, you know, use a credit card to, well, to <laughs> show our best advantage. No, actually, yeah, we're, we're, you didn't ask me where. Well, where are we, Francois? <laughs> well, we are, you know, it, it takes time to get to, 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 to say that, to ask that question instead of the guys. Huge responsibility to be the first two guys to take over the podcast without one of the founding mm. members. Uh, we're in Lausanne, as, as I said, the home of the Olympics uh, at the end of the stage eight of the Tour de France, the four, in the fourth country we've been through since the start. In just over a week, we went to Denmark, Belgium, France, and now Switzerland. And it's, it's the end of it for as far as going you know, over mm. the borders uh, is, but it, it shows how diverse you know, the, that first week was. Uh, and there we are, we're, as usual, having a beer. We're in a nice little bar here. We uh, are. Yeah, last little bar called, what's it called? L'atelier? Yeah. yeah L'atelier, which, which means the workshop. And uh, we're outside with a, you know, beautiful people. Uh, how, is your, how is your beer? Uh, well, I'm drinking an IPA. Um, it's really cloudy. And, you know, we, we, we actually were trying to make it to the hotel. We thought we're ahead of time. And Lionel will be, um, you know, enjoying this conversation. When you're ahead of time, you know, you, you take it easy. But um, we got stuck by the course. So yeah. we saw this little bar and we backtracked to it. And we thought, hang on. Yeah, let's it looks like a, it looks like a, the cycling podcast bar. So let's stop there. Yeah, we were blocked by the the, the the race course and also by the fact there, as you know, there is a lake in this town, <laughs> and it's it's second part part of the way. So we'll wait. Yeah, we'll we'll do the podcast and we we'll go to our hotel next. Uh, we we started from. Mm. Uh, That's what I wanted to ask you. Where, where did we start today? Because you were telling me something really interesting as we walked down to the start today in Ball. We started from Dole. Oh, Dole. Dole, yeah, Dole. Dole is a place in uh, Jura. It's famous as the birthplace of Louis Pasteur. And, and, and the, f the funny thing, or the odd thing about uh, this this morning, Louis Pasteur, as some of you know, is seen in France and in uh, other countries. He discovered the vaccine against rabies. And it's, so he's one of the inventors of vaccines, mm. right? And ironically, I should say, this morning, the big news before we started, before Yeta even started, is that two non-starters, uh, ironically, Geoffrey Bouchard of AG Tour and Vigard Stackelengen of UAE uh, Emirates, m meaning that Tadej Pogacar is now one man down in his team. Uh, and, and so, oddly enough, they, they not, didn't start because of they were both positive to COVID. So, mm. I mean, in the, in the town where the invent one of the inventors of vaccines was born and, you know, and, and grew, uh, well, two guys were, you know, sent off back home to uh, cure COVID. To be honest, we knew from the start of the race, uh, Tom Steele's, uh, the quick step team director, uh, you know, early on in, in the in time trial, there were a couple of others, well, Daryl Impey, before the, the, the race started. Uh, I mean, really, the... the, the, the Whatever we, see, we, we we think, whatever we uh, we we heard, the, the the Tour de France is probably on you know on red alert on COVID because there are two hundred thousand cases in France every day. Yeah, uh, it was it was it would have been a miracle that you, you know there, there would have been no case at all in this Tour de France. So two cases today, hopefully no, not many more. Um, 
I talked to uh, Serge Niamke. So you know Serge. Uh, I do know Niamke Serge. Yes, he was he was team doctor, team doctor in one of your teams when you were riding. Serge Serge Niam Niamke is a very seasoned, uh, you know, uh, experienced um, uh, team doctor. He worked for uh, he worked for Cofidis, Oracle, Green Edge, many others. Astana now is now with Edge Tour La Mondiale. He's the man who took the decision to pull out Geoffrey Bouchard uh, at the start this morning. And here is what he had to say about COVID cases on the Tour de France. Uh, what's the situation with Geoffrey Bouchard this morning, Serge? Uh, with uh, Geoffrey this morning, he, he will not take the start uh, because yesterday uh, in the stage, it was not super. And she said to, he told to me that uh, perhaps he had a little bit fever. And uh, we made uh, yesterday morning a uh, test. Uh, all the team, rather than the staff, have a test. An antigen test in the morning, and he was he was negative. So we, after my my examination, uh, I make another test again, and this test uh, was positive. We controlled this test, and it was positive. And Geoffrey was symptomatic, so the decision he was to not start again, uh, and not to take the start this this morning. Uh, it's okay, and uh, it's a big uh, for him. It's a big shame, but uh, it's like this. What's the process when uh, the test uh, on the Tour de France? How many tests have you per week, and how do you make decisions uh, to, to to pull out a rider? Uh, in, in the Tour de France, we we we, um, we, we follow the process to make uh, uh, the the, the pre-test to come before coming here, the test for before for before two days before competition, and uh, as the usual rules, we make a, a test. Internal uh, test, internal test in the team each three days. Uh, it's for that. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, we all the team have a test, and um, and after that, we have two tests with uh, ISO and uh, the two rest day. Uh, in case of, of, of positivity, we have to inform the, 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 the COVID doctor uh, for power to the front and uh, also the, the Professor Bigar in charge of uh, the medical department of UCI. If uh, it's tricky, if uh, one situation is tricky, uh, we have also have to discuss with uh, the test, the PCR and the city values and to, to, to discriminate one guy in the, we have to stop him or perhaps can you can start. But the decision has come for the three doctors. Uh, if in the, we have any situation, we have a, a dodge. Okay, so in the case of Geoffrey, you, 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 you liaised, you discussed with the ISO doctor and the UCI doctor? No, for in the Geoffrey case, it was easy because yeah. Geoffrey mm -hmm. was sick, it was symptomatic and his two tests was positive. So I just informed that uh, the, the, it, was, it was positive and he had to leave the competition. We, yeah, there's another uh, positive test with uh, one of the riders from uh, UAE. Are you surprised that there are test cases like that? Yeah, uh, um, it's a shame. Uh, I think every each team make uh, the maximum to, to protect uh, our rider and staff uh, because we need to, to race and we need to, to have a good tour de France. But uh, you know that uh, the situation, the bad COVID is worse. So we are like uh, the general population. Uh, we have to deal with, with that and uh, it's not a surprise. But uh, when you arrive in your team and, and also for the team, is is a shame. and is a, uh, Yes, we don't expect to have COVID in this summer in the Tour de France, but now we have to deal with can we expect more? I don't know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> if you look at the, the numbers around us, is 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 important. So a cross finger. I thought it was really interesting to hear him what he was saying about the decision, how they came to that decision, and and the testing that they're doing actually as well um, within the team. Apart from the extra testing the ASO is doing, I'm actually really worried about this because the last thing I want to see is you know today Pagacha 
taken out by COVID. I want to see this race through. Everyone wants to see this. No one wants to see anyone taken out, let alone one of the favourites. I think that would be the most sour end to what is setting up to be a really great tour. And, you know, even though you know, Pogaccio's got such a stranglehold on this race already, I don't want to see him taken out by COVID. No, I mean, you, you, well, you were there last, last year, Mitch, and you saw the, the way things were, were going. Uh, the two COVID tours, 2019 and 2020, the 2020 and 2021, went without COVID, actually. Mm. Uh, there were no COVID cases because the regulations and, 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 the, and the rules were really strict, you know, There were there were separate bubbles. Everybody, uh, you know, all uh, wearing masks, uh, uh, you know, every, all the time. We're only wearing masks now in in the when we're in the riders bubble when we're in the paddock. But let's face it, maybe the the, 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 the you know the safety uh, measures are far more lenient than they were uh, last year. And and ironically, the the first post COVID tour might be the most might be the most affected by COVID. And, and we all hope you know big contender. I mean, we're sorry of course for the guys who were, who were sent home today. But but hopefully COVID is not going to di to disrupt the race and disturb you know the, the general classification. It would be the the worst possible scenario. I've really enjoyed as a, you know, only being the second time as a journalist back on the race and I, I can see a vast difference from last year when I joined you for the last week of the Tour de France. We were only in that mix zone and it was very removed. I've really enjoyed especially being, you know, moving around the buses and, you know, being out to chat to the riders. But at the end of the day, maybe it's not the safest thing. I don't know. That's the thing. This is one of the one of these weird things. We're all taking these precautions. Is it us or is it just inevitable from, you know, the way, like you said, with France at the moment hitting those amount of cases, it is inevitable that it's going to happen. So it'd just be sad if it goes that way, but let's just wait and see what happens. Anyway, there was a race. There was a stage. In a way, some riders uh, started. Some riders, who, who, some of them were affected by COVID before the tour and are not in their best shape. We talk about them later on. I'm thinking Ben O'Connor. Ben O'Connor was a crash. But I'm thinking also Thibaut Pino. Other riders are, are still recovering from, from that. So uh, what happened in the race? Thank you very much, Mitch and Francois. I hope you're enjoying your trip into Switzerland. And I know you're staying at the Swiss Wine Hotel this evening, which perhaps sounds ominous for the cycling podcast Tour de France budget. But nevertheless, I hope you enjoy a glass or two after recording the podcast. I'm very sorry to be missing it, but I'm just popping in to give the tale of the attack for stage eight from Dole to Lausanne in Switzerland, 186 kilometers, three categorized climbs on the way, including the third category Cote de Russe and a three man break, which stayed away much of the day, never really got a very big gap, kept on quite a short leash by the peloton, but nevertheless did stay out in front until quite close to the end, or at least one rider did. The three riders were Mattia Catanio of Quickstep, Fred Wright of Bahrain Victorious and Frederic Frison of Lotto Sudal and it was Frison first to be dropped with 62 kilometers to go. Catania was dropped by Wright with about eight and a half to go and Wright himself survived until just over three kilometers to go but by that stage the peloton was flying. It was one of those finishes slightly uphill that was going to suit both the GC riders, the classics type riders and the sorts of riders who specialized in these transitional type stages in the Tour de France and so in the sprint perhaps no surprise that Wout van Aert of Jumbo Visma got his second stage win of the tour following the one in Calais at the start of the week Michael Matthews who was second in Longwy two days ago was second again for bike exchange and today Pogacar in the yellow jersey third getting himself 
himself another four-second time bonus, so he now leads Jonas Vingegaard by 39 seconds. After Pog came Andreas Kron of Lotto Sudal, Alberto Bettiol of EF Education, then Alexander Vlasov, Benjamin Thomas, Jonas Vingegaard, Bob Jungels and Tom Pidcock rounded out the top ten. All of the serious GC players were in the front group uh, as it split up on the run-in and on the final rise to the line. So Van Aert's second stage win gives him a commanding lead in the green jersey competition, 264 points to Fabio Jakobsen's 149. Magnus Court, still in polka dots, still has that one-point lead over Pogacar, but surely living on borrowed time. Uh, whether Pogacar takes the jersey or somebody else comes to the fore as the race approaches the Alps, we'll just have to see. The Tour did lose four riders today, two non-starters, both testing positive for COVID. Geoffrey Bouchard of AG2R Citroën and, critically, Vigard Stekalengen of UAE Team Emirates, the Norwegian rider and teammate of the yellow jersey Pogacar. So slightly worrying for Pogacar and UAE Team Emirates if they have COVID in the camp. Two riders were non-finishers, Kevin Vermarker of Team DSM crashed out and Gianni Moscon of Astana also pulled out. He was the last rider over the cobbles on the final sector when Mitch and I were standing on the cobbles. So Moscon clearly struggling with something or other and now out of the tour. The cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens for sponsoring the cycling podcast. Have a listen to their new podcast that they've started creating, the Super Sapiens podcast. It basically explains how elite athletes are using the Super Sapiens system of continuous glucose monitoring to improve their training, their racing and their recovery. And the second episode features the South African rider Ashley Moorman Passio. And this is a clip from that episode featuring Ashley Moorman Passio. Cycling is my, it's my career, it's my day-to-day, but it's so much more than that for me. Cycling was a form of empowerment. It helped me to grow as a person, not only in, in strength, physical strength, but also you know, in mental strength. And um, it helped me to learn how to believe in myself to be the woman that I am today, um, to not only be strong on the bike, but to have, you know, well-formed opinions and, and ideas and to have the self-belief um, that those opinions um, or ideas are worth something and to go out into the world and to talk about them. Go to supersapiens.com to find out more about Super Sapiens. Before I hand back to Mitch and Francois in Switzerland, I just want to wish two of our producers good luck tomorrow because Adam Bowie and Hugh Owen are both riding the Etape du Tour, which will take them from Briançon to Alpe d'Huez tomorrow. I know they've both been training hard, looking forward to it, and hopefully they'll record a few thoughts that we'll uh, use in a future episode of Explore, if not later on in our Tour de France coverage. But good luck, Adam and Hugh, and anyone else listening who's riding the attack tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, and uh, yeah, enjoy the climbing. Now, back to Mitch and Francois. 
Well, it was a bit of a change in pace this stage compared to what we've seen, you know, 50, 60 kilometres before the brake's gone and 50 kilometres an hour. Actually, it was a crash that caused the, you know, the almost like a truce in the peloton, I felt. You know, in the crash, we had 14 guys down. Geraint Thomas was in there. We also had, you know... Roman Bardet was also there. Vlasov was there. Even today, Pogacar was in that in that crash group. So I think what happened there was, I think a combination of both things. This crash with all the favourites, a lot of the favourites, but also after this, what is it, seven tough days, everyone was just a bit like, let that go. I can imagine if I was in that bunch, they would have been like, you know, basta, basta, enough, enough. And three guys rolled away. Fred Wright... Mattia Cantoneo and Frederick Frison. So three guys rolled away. They felt like they rolled away, but actually it was a bit of an uneventful stage, which turned out with a really great final. Yeah. A little bit like yesterday, we, we, before the mountain comes uh, tomorrow, we, we, we have these, we were discussing that in the car, Mitch, like, like almost Vuelta type uh, mm. uh, stages or where, where you always have a, a, an uphill finish, even if it finishes in a, in a, in a town, they, they, they always seem to find a way, you know, to find a, a little bump or a little hill too. This was more than a little bump at the, fin- at the finish, we, we'll, we'll talk about it later. But you're right, we saw, we saw the pictures on, uh, on, on TV when after the crash, when the, when actually the bunch reform uh, the, 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 the guys with you know the jersey holders all of them uh, Tadej Pogacar Wout van Aar uh, they, they came to the front and they, they make mm. kind of a front line to say you know right guys now we let these three guys uh, have their day we're uh, we're taking it easy and at that stage it, it was obvious that you know everybody was ready for a bunch sprint I guess that some teams were already willing for a bunch sprint uh, I talked to Franz Masson the uh, at the end of the stage, um, and I, I talked to him in the morning as well, uh, who is, as you know, one of the team directors for Jumbo Visma, and he told me, yes, of course, we uh, we wanted a bunch sprint simply because uh, of the green jersey. Obviously, mm. now Wout van Aert, one of his main objectives, I mean, let's, you know, when you think of his results uh, in the first week, we'll get back to it later, but uh, the, the green jersey is obviously one of his main uh, goals now, uh, and so for uh, th- that goal only, oh, even if he, if he was only on the podium, it was very important for him to be uh, close to the to the, uh, to the top, to the front for the first, inter- for the intermediate sprint of the day, and of course, if there was a bunch sprint, he had a good chance to be, in, to be in the top three, top five, and that's what happened. I think that many other teams uh, obviously, Pugacar's team UAE, they were not there to t- take things under control, or so they, they, you know, for them it was a bit of a lull. And as you know, as you know, and as you discovered, Mitch, other teams were also mm. hoping for a bunch sprint. Well, that was well, really a bunch f- sprint. A, a, bunch, a, yeah. a group, group finish. finish. Let's yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was really interesting because I went and had a chat to my old director um, Matthew White, and he was very coy at the start. You know, he didn't really want to, you know, give away what the team tactics were, and I thought, you know, rightly so. I was sort of hinting that maybe they were going to go for a breakaway, and actually, when I found out what they were doing, they were, you know, setting it up for Michael Matthews. A very obvious thing in hindsight. I listened back on the interview, and you have a listen now and see if you can understand now. He's dancing around it, but he's actually saying the team tactic in without saying it. You know, at the time I didn't hear it, but when I listened back on the interview, when I saw what they did, I was like, oh, he's actually telling me they were never going to go for the breakaway. I guess the plan was to have Schultze up the road yesterday. Durbo snuck up there, cheeky bugger. But um, he actually had a, a really strong ride, in my opinion. Is the plan to get uh, Schultze up the road again today? 
All right, we're not going to divulge our plan for today, that's for sure. But no, the plan for yesterday was to have uh, a big guy and a climber in there. The, a big break, it's always good to have uh, numbers and the style of racing has totally changed. And in those breakaways, if they do let them fly, which they didn't yesterday, you know, people are riding a lot more aggressive, a lot further out. And if you've got numbers in there, that certainly increases your chance of victory. And again, I guess, yeah, like you said, you're not going to say too much to your plan today, but I guess numbers, you know, do you think it's going to be, again, a big fight to get up the road? Do you think it'll go, do you think, you know, Yulmo's looking to control it for that sprint point or do you think it's going to go before then? What's your idea about when that break might go today? Oh, going on going on the trends of the last uh, last few days, probably going to go on for a while, isn't it? It's, uh, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of teams interested in putting someone down the road today. And there's a few other teams that uh, wouldn't be quite content with uh, with arriving the best uh, the best guys all together. And after the stage, they set Michael Michael Matthews up really well. Bike Exchange were committed to a goal there. They helped to the chase with Yumbo Visma, and in the end, it was Yumbo Visma fighting it out with Bike Exchange. Walt Van Aert versus Michael Matthews. Unfortunately, he's come up second again. I chatted with him at the finish as well, and you could feel that disappointment. I mean, in the end, I can only ride my own race. Today was one of my big focus. Two days ago was one of my big focus of this Tour de France. I did my best. I got beaten by uh, two freaks of cycling. Um, beaten by Tade two days ago and beaten by Walt today. So, story of my life really. Always coming up second best. We're talking about guys that you don't see often in cycling. A guy that's now leading the green jersey by almost double the points to second place, but can also win on Mont last year. Can win uh, every race on the calendar basically. And we're speaking about Tade, that's two-time Tour de France win, uh, champion and eight stages in, uh, I think, two years. So I'm just a, a guy from Australia trying my best. Um, every time I get the opportunity from the team, I try my best. And, uh, I mean, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But as long as you give everything, that's all you can do. Yeah, I think everyone is beatable. I mean, um, I just have to continue trying. These guys are just... Uh, at the top of their game and they're obviously very physically talented in our sport and I mean of course I want to beat them but it's also a great challenge if or when I do beat them it'll be more, even more special. Um, I think we got a few days off now um, after this. Uh, I'm not exactly sure when the next one is but uh, yeah I'll take it an easy day tomorrow and have a good rest day and then reset to see what we do for the second week. Uh, actually I think from memory, there's actually not a stage like this anymore in this Tour de France. So I think, yeah, if I if I want to get a stage now, it has to be uh, from a breakaway, which uh, is possible. I mean, there's lots of opportunities in breakaways. Um, the GC is pretty pretty set, I think. Um, and the GC guys will be fighting it out for just the GC. I don't think they'll be going for many stages unless Tade wants another one. But uh, yeah, let's see. I think Dylan's still got a few more opportunities with, with some flat sprints coming up in this end of the second week and then in Paris so we still got big, big goals in this Tour de France and we're really looking forward to it. Michael you talked about Australia doing it you know you're just, a man, you're just a guy from Australia let's talk about the team what they did for you today and how that made you feel coming to the finish because I know you're motivated by that stuff and seeing the boys on the front I thought oh I reckon Michael's going to pull something huge out of the bag which he did. Which yeah I mean I think you know from Mitch from experience with riding with me when I have my teammates on the front I will turn myself inside out uh, as many times as I can. Um, I'll cross the finish line with nothing left, just to make sure I give everything back to what they gave to me, um, especially today. Today was amazingly hard. Um, that final climb was set at an amazing pace from the bottom, from Bora, and then uh, UAE took over and 
yeah, obviously they wanted to try and get rid of the fast guys, which is normal. Um, for me, it was just thinking in my mind how much my guys did today for me to set this up. So I needed to try and pay them off for that. Yeah, well, we, you can put yourself in the place of Michael Matthews there. You know, there is a generation of, of, of riders like uh, Matthews, like Peter Sagan, all these guys who were dominating those, uh, you know, slightly uphill finishes, uh, you know, the, the, the puncher, as we call them in French, uh, like the Alaphilippe type, the guy who can win the flesh well or not do well. I mean, this type of riders, uh, they're... They now have to 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 to, to face, uh, the, you know, the appearance of monsters. I mean, that, that's the word uh, Franz Mathen used uh, when I talked. I told him, well, uh, I mean, uh, we all thought that Wout van Aert was tired after his, his solo, his unbelievable, sometimes probably absurd, uh, you know, yellow jersey ride to the front uh, the other day, the day before La Planche de Belfi. So, so you would have expected him to be tired, you know, he was always on the attack, won two stages now. Uh, so, so, and, and Franz Masson told me, yeah, well, you know, uh, Wout van Aert is no ordinary man. He, he, he didn't. He, he said, he said, uh, Wout van Aert is three men in himself. So, three so, now. Yeah, he well, went from he, one yeah, and a half, yeah, and I suggested yeah, two. Yeah, yeah he's exactly, up to three. three. Yeah, but oh, well, off foot, well, maybe you know he'll 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 he'll, he'll be back. You know, in in his in, you know being a d domestic from from. I mean, from tomorrow onwards, because we we get into the mountains. But uh, you, you 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 can put yourself in the, in the place of uh, of riders who used to be dominant, and now they have to face the monsters. Are of course Wood van Aert, Tadej Pogacar, as Jonas Vingegaard found out in La Planche de Belfi. He thought he'd won, but no, he hadn't won. The the, the uh, one of the other monsters were there. The the other monster was probably Mathieu van der Poel, who's, who's unfortunately we were, we were discussing the COVID and diseases before the, uh, at the at the start of this of this podcast and of this episode. So then, obviously, uh, Mathieu van der Poel is not in his in his best shape. But, but I mean, you've got this new generation of uh, of phenomenons, mm. you know. And 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 for for a guy like 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 Michael Matthews, I I can see you know the frustration of, of thinking, I, I'm I'm doing my best. I, I'm doing everything reasonably right, and it's not good enough. It's interesting too because we're leaving two other. Why well, I think I call the the immortals. We're leaving also Tom Pitcock out of the conversation and Ala Philippe. You know, can imagine we have those two guys. Tom Pitcock, you know, he is riding a different race, and I can imagine he's under a different sort of instruction from the team. But that finish would have also suited him in a, in a, in a way as well. So the new generation is taking it forward. And I can say as a, as a very recently retired pro, I'm looking on this peloton with eyes of enjoyment because I'm not in there because it, it, it is tough racing I can't tell you how fast these guys are actually going now it's ridiculous it, there's a kind of satisfaction for for Michael Matthews today he, he beat Tadej Pogacar you know <laughs> into third place so I mean you, you, you get the satisfactions you can get but that, that You have also, to, you know, you also have to give give credits to the guys, to to, to the, the escapees of the day. I mean, there's always these guys who try something. Mm. Today looked like it, it could have been, uh, well, a good day for them. I mean, when I was talking to the riders in the mix zone at the start, um, lots of them were, were were talking about a possible breakaway stage. Uh, well, unfortunately, as we saw, the big teams had decided otherwise. The crash at the beginning decided otherwise. But still, you know. I mean, some of them were, were there up the road and tried their best. I think you you, you talked to Fred Wright uh, at the finish, and he explained what well what he what he was trying to do. Exactly, he was he was very interested in talking to Fred because he has sort of a, a mixed emotions at the end there. 
I'm disappointed not to get the red numbers. You know, he was the last man standing, and I thought he had a pretty valiant effort there, valiant effort, you know, out in the breakaway. Um, have a listen to what he had to say. How are you, buddy? How was your day? Tell me about it. Uh, yeah, it was, it was good fun. Tour de France breakaway, what can I say? Um, yeah, I mean, I was a bit gutted. There were three of us. I just saw there was a crash. I think that might have affected, was the reason why there were only three of us. I think people were trying to jump, but... I was there, so I thought, I, you know, you got you got to commit to it, and no, nah, we did a good job, you know. We, I lasted till the climb, and then, and I kind of, yeah, I'm glad they didn't catch me any later on. I think I'd have been a bit more gutted. Mate, it was a fantastic ride. What was it actually feeling like being out the front of the Tour de France? You know, that that dream sort of thing. Did you really enjoy your day? I know you you made it sound like it was a fun day. It looked pretty hard work though. A lot of big roads actually. That was sometimes a bit demoralising, but uh, the fans are. The fans are so good, you almost, you know, once I first got in the break, I was like, oh, I can't even, you know, you can't even feel your legs, you know, you're just spinning away up the road. Happy days. Awesome, mate. And lastly, did you ever think you could get away with it, you know, get the victory? At what point did you think, like, oh, I think I'm going to get caught? Or was always that belief that you, you know, you're going to get there? It's hard to describe. I think I kind of knew, I knew I was doomed, but at the same time, you've got to keep trying because you never know. You never know. And... I'm just a bit gutted I didn't get the red numbers, but I think they decided before Catania would drop or something like that, I don't know. I thought with 5k to go, oh, at least I'll get the red numbers. So to find out I didn't get them, I was a bit like, oh, damn it. But there's there's plenty more days to, you know, I was, I was feeling good. So more breakaway opportunities. Well, the race has already had some casualties. Um, there's a few wounded men still in the peloton, but actually we had two abandons today. We had you know, Gianni Muscon, who we saw, well, Lionel and I saw out on the cobblestones coming in as last man, alone on his own. He actually went down again today. And also Kevin Van Marker, that he also abandoned from DSM, um, Gianni from Astana. Those two were abandoned today. But also we had hopes for Ben O'Connor after a couple of tough days. And he actually went down again today and was struggling. He did get through the stage, but not what we wanted to see from Ben. And I can imagine from AG2R2, not what they were hoping. High hopes for him coming into this race. Yeah, he was obviously, you know, hampered by the, by the, the crash he had a couple of days uh, ago. He went to the medical car again today. It's it's a tricky one. I mean, you you talked to him and he looked like very frustrated on the verge of tears, you, you said. And uh, I saw him the next morning and he looked a little bit more cheerful and hoping for you know sometimes in the Tour de France as Michael Matthews knows because he's been there and others David Miller in the in the past you 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 get you you have a bad crash you get injured and you you, you spend like a, a whole week mm. the second week trying to to recover and every day is an ordeal but you 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 you're hoping for you know the recovery and sometimes it works sometimes in third week then you have a chance you know for a, uh, all of a sudden you feel better you have a chance to go for a stage and of course a GC is in jeopardy, but th- th- I think that's the case for Ben O'Connor. I expected much more. We'll, we'll see tomorrow already. You know, in the in the well, as we head in, into the Alps, where you know whether uh, you know we, we uh, uh, it's getting better as the, the road goes up. But yeah, all these guys are, are in trouble. But <laughs> as you know, uh, Mitch Weber, that, that there's there's a writer that's dear to my heart, but that's dear to the heart of many others, uh, friends of the podcast. I'm thinking of you know. Uh, <laughs> we've got a penal watch 
yeah. <laughs> guys and the, the Thibaut Pinot fan club. Thibaut Pinot had, had also had a strange day. He crashed yeah. three times. He was involved in the first crash. He had another crash. Uh, you know, uh, uh, two, well, in the penalty, before the penultimate climb, and and yeah, there was a freak incident when he went to 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 pick up a musette on the on the side of the of the road, and and he was hit by. Well, yeah, a, a Swanier or someone with, uh, uh, you know, working for track, uh, someone you know actually. Well, no, I think he hit, he hit a Swanier and he ended up landing in uh, the media officer from uh, oh, yeah, Matt yeah, Bourdain mm. from EF. He ended up landing in his arms almost sort of, <laughs> he saved him. They were, they were, you know, he was cuddling him with the emotion. We all know, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve and it was just a day of that, wasn't it? Absolutely. The emotion and... It was just set up for that, especially that scene where he's falling into Matt's arms and, you know... Yeah, absolutely. Well, he was like a little bit knocked out, and then yeah. you know, t- 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 you know, taken, o- taken over by Matt and sent, you know, and sent back on the road. Uh, well, that once again emotional moments for for Thibaut Pinot. I talked to Julien, his brother, uh, at the start because because obviously yesterday they were in in their hometown and uh, they were expecting a lot for them. And 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 Julien told me what to expect expect from Thibaut Pinot uh, for the rest of the Tour de France. We're listening to Julien Pinot now. Well, Thibaut was not, uh, usually it's, it's always difficult for him to, to race in that area. Everybody is a target, everybody knows he's, he's going to try and go for it. It's, it's probably not the easiest way for him to ride at home. Yeah, well, in the past he did some strong performance in Plan de Belfi. Uh, one time second, one time fifth. But uh, yesterday he tried the beginning uh, of the stage to, to take the breakaway. He let uh, some energy to, to try. And then in the last climb, the legs were not uh, so excellent. But um, yeah, we think uh, the COVID bef- uh, between uh, Tour de Suisse and Tour de France has little consequence on his shape. So he need uh, some patience to yeah to, to recover, to fully recover, and uh, be ready for the high mountain in the Alps and the, the Pyrenees. I remember it was the 2012. Uh, there was a, uh, there was a finish at La Planche Belfi. Yes. That everybody was talking of Thibaut while well, he, he, he didn't perform that well that day yeah. and he won the next day in Switzerland. Yeah, so. that's right. So, yeah, yeah, for right. There is a lot of things. Yesterday it was uh, Saint Thibault. It was also uh, 10 years ago he, he won in port mm-hmm. uh, We will see. The stage is uh, easier this year than the, the yeah, one in port But uh, why not? Why not? We will see. For me, it, it would be better to, to save the legs and uh, try to recover one, two more days. But uh, sometimes Thibault is invisible, uh, so we will see. Well, on a lighter note, we can't ignore this amazing week from Wout Van Aert. Wout Van Aert, sorry. Well, Wout Van Aert, this is like, he started off with a bang. He's ended with a bang this first week. He's just been everywhere. We've spoken about it pretty much every day. But how can we not? His dominance in this race, cool, calm, collected. And he's still got a fair bit of load ahead of him as what we're saying in domestique. But maybe not. Maybe he's going to keep pushing on. Why not? Well, pushing on the mountains. We, we know he won the, the stage, of the, the Ventoux stage last year, but the circumstances were different. He went into a break, uh, took advantage of that. And nobody was expecting him to do that well. Uh, it, it might happen again, you know, mm. that he goes into a break and, and manages to win uh, one of the mid-mountain stages. I, I can't see him, of, of course, you know, competing, and, and nobody expects him to do that and and his team that the probably the, the don't want him to do that but yeah i mean 
it kind of tried to explain again is because you know we're, we're still at uh, you know we're, we're still struggling yeah. to, to understand what he was trying to do the other day uh, breaking away with a yellow jersey and and in a way he explained uh, why he was doing that he, he <laughs> He said yeah. in the press conference, he said that when he was a when he was a kid watching cycling, and that's why he wanted to cyclocross and other stuff. Uh, he hated bunch sprints to watch bunch sprint on he TV. He found it boring. He said, "Yeah, he said, but they're boring. You know, like you, it's only it's only like five minutes of racing at the end of a long day." And uh, but then he said, "Of course, then once he, he got in the mix himself and 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 you know and found out about uh, fighting for position and everything that you know it goes with a bunch sprint, you know, something you know, of course, uh, by heart, uh, Mitch." He, He found he found it exciting as a rider, but he didn't find it exciting as a fan. So so so, well, you know, if if you try to to to, to translate what he was trying to say, well, in a way he he, he broke away to avoid a bunch sprint and to avoid the, maybe work you know maybe working for us fans and spectators uh, trying to offer something different, something more exciting. And I mean, what can you say? Uh, two second place on the first two days in on a time trial uh, on a, on a bunch sprint and then he goes on to win uh, two stages in different fashion uh, all the time. I mean, uh, winning again in, mm. in in a kind of different kind of scenario. Well, it's not a bunch sprint. It's kind of you know group finish up uh, uh, up a, a small but really steep hill. I mean. What can you say? Well, he didn't <laughs> ignore. He didn't. He also didn't ignore that he could have won yesterday. He even said that in the press conference. You know, I, I, potentially I could have won yesterday as well, but I wanted to try something different. He's got a stranglehold on that green jersey. He's on 264 points. His next best is Fabio um, Fabio Jakobsen. He's on 149 points, so he's a fair way behind. I can't see anyone overtaking him. Interestingly, the KOM hasn't changed at all today. Magnus Court Nielsen, he's still on 11 points. Today, Bogatra, he's on 10 points. So that didn't change because of that breakaway. Those guys hadn't featured in the points either. So nothing's really changed in that front. If anything, Wovanard has just pretty much cemented that, you know, it's not over yet. But if he does nothing else in the race, maybe someone else can do it. But I can't imagine he's going to be you know taking that green jersey off from here to no, Paris and and especially because you know in in the well in the final section of the race when we have the time trial in Rocamadour and then the bunch on the Champs-Élysées who will be you know he, he will be among the favorites to win those so you know now now you know he leaves the stage for a while to uh, to his leaders to Primoz Roglic and Jonas Vingegaard but i mean you know we'll we'll hear more about Wout van later in the race for sure Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. If you are riding the ATAP, you want to be stocking up with plenty of Science in Sport products, and I can really recommend the Beta Fuel for a long ride. Obviously, you'll have got all of your fueling strategy prior to the event spot on, uh, but you need to take care during and after the event as well. But I can recommend the Beta Fuel because on my tour around Scotland a few months ago, the Beta Fuel really came into its own. And it was the first time I'd really used a product like that uh, to fuel a multi-day ride. And I was really impressed with just the sort of subtle but uh, noticeable results. I was eating less solid food and I was fueling using the Beta Fuel and making sure that I was consuming a lot of carbohydrate but without having to overeat. Uh, so I found it a very effective 
and comfortable way of fueling. If you want to get 25% off everything at Science in Sport, go to scienceinsport.com. Before I hand back to Mitch and Francois again, a quick reminder that you still have time to vote in the competition to decide which of the three map designs of the cycling podcast jersey should win the competition. Francois's not here to talk over me and say, check, check, check. Um, So I can steer everyone in the direction of voting for Fade, which is my personal favourite. I do know that Dot, the design inspired by the sort of late 80s, is currently in the lead. Um, But go to map.cc to check out the three designs and vote for your favourite. And the winning design will be produced later in the year. And a little buffalo motif will also be added to the design, um, an homage and uh, a reminder of our friend Richard Moore. Well, it may sound like we're just drinking beer every night. Well, we are drinking beer when we record because it's that first beverage of the day, you know, just to sort of break the ice and, you know, it's more like a refreshing ale. But actually, it doesn't mean that we haven't drunk a few fantastic wines. Francois, fill in everyone what wines we've sort of been getting around as well this first week. Yeah, we're, we're getting to the end of the first week, and uh, and so, some of you uh, listeners have, have you know wondered or started you know been a little bit worried that uh, we were not in the in the wine. Uh, in, the, in the wine drinking um, uh, mood, but we were, uh, we were every night. You know, the, the beer is for aperitif, and the, and the wine. As I told the guys, I can't eat with beer. I, I must have no. a glass of wine in front of me when I'm I'm having dinner. So actually, uh, it, we, we were around Pinot Noir and and and, and uh, what we call well Northern Côte du, Côte du Nord, uh, Côte du Rhône uh, for the first week. Um, outstanding. The outstanding bottles we had on the fr- on the first night we had a great meal, but we, you weren't you weren't there, uh, Mitch, yet. But uh, in in Copenhagen we went for Cros Hermitage. We we later got got back to Cros Hermitage when there's a fantastic little place restaurant where we, we were in Los Le Lille. I mean, it, it, you wouldn't expect that you know called, place called Felici. If you're in Lille and you're looking for a great place uh, away from the from from the numbers, yeah. go to Felici. It's absolutely a fantastic, great restaurant. Great wine, and we had two bottles that, that, that night that were outstanding. We had a Cros Hermitage from François Villard. Uh, François Villard, if you don't know this guy, uh, it's V I L L A R D. He's one of the best wine growers in the in the northern Côte d'Iron region. He's a is uh, you know he's kind of a maverick uh, uh, wine grower. Yeah, all his wines are, are fantastic, white, uh, uh, reds. So I mean, if you not, not always cheap but you can go for the cheaper bottles like you know he's got you know like uh, uh, Shiraz Viognier mm. lots of stuff but, so that was cool and then we asked the the, 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 the sommelier to, to bring us a bottle he'd, he'd chosen and he, he came with a, an Ardèche an organic wine from Ardèche 100% Carignan it, it, it was fantastic wasn't it it was fantastic actually absolutely uh, excellent and for the rest of the, the so the, the, being you know in the in the north of France uh, and the east, I mean that there are not great red wine regions. They're more like white or you know or pin, well we're in Pinot land, so we yeah. we, we, we were more uh, uh, on Pinot Noir. We had a Pinot Noir uh, from Alsace last night. Um, we, we also had an and an, an if also if you look for cheap, good Côte du Rhône the other day in Longwy, we, we had uh, uh, Plan de Dieu. 
Uh, Plantadieu is, is a small uh, appellation. It's, you know, it's among the villages of Côte d'Huronne. And, 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 and Plantadieu wines usually are, are very fruity. You can feel the Shiraz, uh, the, the, the Shiraz, the way the French do it in the, in the south, which is far more, you know, a lot, lot less sun than Australia. Mm. And so, so we're that little Plantadieu, which was very fruity, and you, you can tell that's great. So that, not, that's heaps of, not heaps of tannins either, no, is no, it? No. no, no tannin at all. Yeah. You know, that, that's a good thing about it. You, you, you're really drinking, hmm. uh, you know, well, grape juice in a way, which is which is which <laughs> wine also is, you know. So that that was to to sum up the, uh, the 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 wine list so far. That that's that's what we had. We, we're going to 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 head now to south. So I mean, the 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 the, the wine and the grapes, are, the wines and the grapes are going to change a little bit, and we'll keep you posted, of course, uh, every time we uh, we find a great uh, a great vintage. And well, before we before we clock off tonight, we're going to talk about our start tomorrow. Um, a town, Aigle. You may have heard that name. Well, it's actually the headquarters of the UCI. Um, it's a small little town. How did the UCI actually become? The headquarters in Aigle. Why is it there, Francois? Well, the thing is, so Aigle is the is the place where obviously Switzerland is is is, is a well, we're in Lausanne, so you know lots of sports federations mm. uh, have their headquarters in in Switzerland for reason for reason you can imagine. <laughs> I mean, for legal uh, you know tax reasons, there are lots of reasons for that. Uh, and Aigle was is actually a, a nice uh, little town, but also you've got everything you need. It's not too far from the mountains. Uh, very often, the Tour de Romandie goes from, uh, you know, close to, to Aigle. Um, and so, yeah, well, you know, uh, th- th- that's the place where, where the uh, uh, UCI decided to have their headquarters. It, well, a long time ago, you know, the, the, the UCI was founded in Paris. But, you know, as most federations, they moved to Switzerland and, 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 and they chose Aigle because, you know, it's, it's handy. And also... They had the opportunity to create this 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 world cycling center. It's it's a town and a place you actually know well, Mitch. Because if I if I you know if I believe my sources, you spend quite a bit of time there at Egle, at the UCI headquarters. How, how did that come? How was it? Well, it is a bit of a funny story, um, Francois. You know, back in the day, you know, the Aigle, the World Cycling Center. That was to support, you know, nations that couldn't have a federation to help them get across to be professional to do the racing. Now, at the time when I was trying to turn professional, there was this weird complex in Australia where the Australian AIS was going sort of against the team that I was in, you know, Drapak. And Michael Drapak, the founder of that team, he was all about the education, the you know, the full, you know, vision of a, a human being really. Not this, you know, pigeonhole guys into professional cycling or professional sport. It was about education and pursuing your passion. Anyway, as the long story goes, I couldn't get into the AIS. I couldn't race the world championships because I couldn't do selection races with the AIS because they were a a pro-continental team and I was in another pro-continental team. I pitched this story to the UCI and they said, come on board. Michel Therese, he was the the director of the team and he was making up this team there I had some great riders on that team I can tell you these guys you might have heard of Andre Amador he rides now on Movistar he was on our team we also had um, Jardinson Pentano we also had Fabio Duarte we had a rock star squad a couple of South Africans as well Jaco Venter Jacques van Rensburg this was a really good squad and we all came together and we raced a Tour de l'Avenir, but it was, you know, the experience I had with that team, I was telling you earlier in the car today was, I came from Australia, I didn't have any experience of the European world, 
And being dropped into that, it was very good because it was like a pro squad. I mean, we had the look bikes, we had Nike kit, but also on the other side of it, it was very cool, very looked after, but on the other side, we had the French mentality, no offence, but it was like very rigid, very tough. Everyone checking what we ate, very old school, but I learned the hard way there about how to be a pro at a young age. I felt like a professional, we were in amateur level, and I think I took that on from that level when I became professional the next year, I took that straight on. I wasn't learning on the cuff. So they've had great names in that in that squad there. They, you know, Chris Froome's come through there as well. Michelle was a big influence on him coming through there. And we well we all know Chris Froome now. This is and it, it's very not that well known, but they produced a lot of good riders through that you know development UCI team. Well, we're off there tomorrow, so we're going to be out there. Maybe I'll run into someone that I know in Agle. Maybe not. Who knows? But. I'm looking forward to doing it. Tomorrow is the mountain stage. It'll be my last stage tomorrow, Francois. What do you think? Have we got through the podcast well enough? Lionel, you're out there listening. What do you think, mate? Yeah, well, I mean, uh, our listeners, well, I, <laughs> I, I pledge, you know, but I hope the listeners have, have had a good time, have had a fun time. We, are, we, 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 we took the baton the best we could. As you know, in, 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 in his book, you know, Mark Cavendish uh, talks about the, the, the days before he joined the Tour de France, the last Tour de France. He was in the C team for a while, for a quick mm. step. I don't know if we're the B team, the C team, or the D team, but I mean, you know, I, I think we're doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, until tomorrow, Francois. Let's time to get to dinner. Absolutely. See you guys. Bye. Before we round off the episode, there's time for the Tour de Buffalo, our daily reminder of the work of our friend and colleague Richard Moore, who passed away at the end of March. And we've been playing these little clips because, well, they're nice reminders of Richard's work on the Tour de France for the Cycling Podcast. And back in 2017, he made an episode for Friends of the Podcast after spending the day in the Cannondale team car. And it was a pretty dramatic day. It was in the Alps. It went to Serre Chevalier and Primoz Roglic won the stage. But Cannondale's ride at Rigoberto Uran moved up from fourth to second overall. And uh, well, it was a dramatic day and Richard captured that drama from the best seat in the house in one of the team cars. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. Well done, Ken. It's never had a really nice thing to do. It's difficult riding through the peloton like that. I mean, especially on these roads, they're not exactly wide. Yeah, it's not, it's not the nicest thing to do. We had it in Dauphiné, I had it that I was in the middle of the peloton in a descent. And I swear, you're sweating a lot. It's, it's really hard work then. But okay, it's part of the job. And it's, I'm always happy that I passed that peloton. It's always a, a relief. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. It's an amazing, you know, no matter how much you see bike racing, it, it's amazing to be in, in the peloton at the Tour de France like that with these riders all around you, kind of, uh, you know, it, they're, they're, they're not exactly riding hard at the moment, but they're suffering and, you know, it's it's quite a, it's quite a vantage point you have when you're stuck in the middle of it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, it's, it's very exciting, but um, it takes a lot of... Uh, a lot of energy of you to uh, to pass them because you know they're yeah they're all big riders and you just 
don't wanna. That's the biggest nightmare of a DS that you hit somebody. So mission accomplished. Getting two men in that break and Betiol's been riding very well, hasn't he? Yeah, he's he's really good climbing at the moment. And um, yeah, at this moment, this is the perfect possible situation for us. It's great. I think he was the last man with uh, Uran yes. uh, in the Pyrenees a lot of the time. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, he's, I think. Big, he's big as well, but he rides, as you say, very well. Yeah, he he's he's just, it's a special rider, and, and it's the same thing with Thomas de Gent. They look big, but they can climb so well. So, yeah, it's, it's great to have him there. So. And he's Uran's roommate as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, they have a very good uh, relationship, and... Uh, it goes really, really well and uh, they have fun and yeah, the atmosphere is very good. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed and Lionel Byrne. Yeah.